It's episode 73 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is Michael Hood. He's the co-founder and head of product at VoiceFlow, and we're going to discuss the emerging practice of designing voice user interfaces. Mike, thanks so much for being on the program. Jeff, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. This is great. It's, I've got so many questions about designing for voice. We did an episode like a couple years ago about kind of design for conversation. It might even be longer than that. And so much has changed that I just think uh, this is some great stuff to get into. So my first question for you uh, is, do you pronounce it, do you pronounce it vui? Vui? Like, like we do with vui. vui. Is it? Yes, I, I think so. Um, vui is, is what I say, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm correct, <laughs> but uh, I've heard VUI designer, VUI designer. I think uh, I think the space is still kind of nascent, so you can kind of just go with whatever you want. I think people are still kind of regretting GUI from 30, 40 right. years ago, so <laughs> yeah. it, it, we, we may never get this yeah. resolved. Uh, so you are head of product for VoiceFlow. I should mention that VoiceFlow is a true ventures-funded uh, company. That's how you and I got to know each other. Um, and uh, we couldn't be more excited about what you guys are building. Um, but why don't we just take a minute here at the beginning uh, and, and say a little bit about what VoiceFlow really is. Sure. So VoiceFlow is a web-based drag-and-drop tool for designing, prototyping, and building uh, voice apps on Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. Um, so if I could kind of give you a one-liner that kind of makes it clear without having to go to the website, maybe think of it like a WordPress for voice apps um, or a web flow for voice apps. Um, I think uh -huh. that's kind of the best way to go about it. Yeah. Interesting. And that's all hosted on the web, but it's essentially a, like a design tool you would categorize it. Yeah, exactly. So we make uh, a GUI for building VUIs, which is <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Good. So I, uh, I'm very curious about this, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I use, uh, voice apps every day. Uh, I've mm -hmm. got it more and more integrated into my home. Uh, I tend, I, I find myself using Siri more and more when I'm out and uh, in the city and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, and notably my kids, oh my gosh, I, I have mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast before, but they, yeah. that, uh, is by far their primary uh, interface into music. Um, and my kids are right. young, like a seven-year-old, uh, who has now been using Alexa for two years, is, you know, like that is just, she just like, she wants uh, to hear stories, uh, to be told stories. She wants to, she has all kinds of questions. She wants to know what the weather is going to be tomorrow so she can know which school uniform to wear, you know, on and on right. and on. And it is second nature to them. Uh, and it, they don't seem to mind when, when the, the response is, is that comes back and like that it wasn't understood or anything like that. They just keep going and going and going anyway. So I think there's a generational thing here that's going to happen much like I think mobile did 10 years ago. But um, I just, I would love to hear your thoughts on the landscape right now. Yeah. I mean um, it, it's so definitely looking at, I guess if we want to go into voice apps, um, if we're looking at kind of Google and Alexa, I think on the, on the kind of third party developer side, um, there's a lot more interest with Alexa. Um, and that's kind of just because they've created, a, I think, a bigger and better ecosystem right now. Mm. Um, but uh, Google is definitely uh, not not backing down. So it, it's kind of an interesting time. And, and as, a, as a tool in the space, um, we're seeing more and more people wanting to build for uh, Google, wanting to build for even now Bixby. Um, companies themselves are, are launching their own voice assistants. 
So it's uh you know Siri the Siri uh, OS kit is is mm. rumored. So I think there's it's it's a really interesting time in the space. I think the way I like to describe it is kind of we're in we're the first batter of the first inning, uh, or at least I hope. So yeah. it's super early days, um, but yeah, it's definitely exciting and a lot changes quickly. <laughs> yeah, though we do have. Um, I wanted to kind of look a little bit historically because there have been. Uh, essentially, voice apps on telephones for oh, it's got to be twenty years now, right? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the IVR experience. Yeah, exactly. And even before that, it was you know press one for this and press two for that and, and things like that. Um, so I, I'm just wondering, like, is is that an opportunity for voice apps as well? Now that it's kind of getting popular and people in Silicon Valley are like, oh my god, you know? Yeah, there's this really fascinating um, shift happening, and I think IVRs are kind of a great uh, poster boy for that that shift. And it's going from kind of this uh, linear design to nonlinear to stateful. Um, and mm-hmm. so IVRs have been, you know, were were uh, the tech is from the 80s, but they were popularized in kind of the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and so those are your standard, rather. Um, Rather unpleasant experiences where it's like press one to, you know, uh, press one to do this, two to do this. Um, and so now we're actually seeing this second wave of, of IVR experiences. And if, uh, if you're kind of a voice nerd like me, you can actually just call the Walgreens IVR and it starts off by saying, hey, how can I help you? Interesting. Um, and then it just kind of goes from there. So it's kind of flipping from a design standpoint. It's really interesting because it's, it's kind of flipping the, the script. You you mentioned what sounded like a framework, right? So yeah. linear to stateful. Can you describe mm-hmm. that a little more? Get- yeah, totally. So let's um, let's use the classic order order pizza example. Um, so when we're ordering a pizza, um, there, there's two ways I could design that this experience. Um, one is kind of you know the flowchart uh, method, which seems super logical when you kind of first look at things. Um, but in practice, it kind of it falls apart. So um, if I wanted to do something super linear, um, I would go, you know, what type of pizza do you want? You would give me that uh, piece of information. I would ask, hey, what size do you want? And then lastly, I might ask, is this for pickup or delivery? Right. Um, but in practice, um, when we're actually seeing this experience in the wild, we'll notice quite quickly that people never uh, will kind of give you the answer you're looking for, right? Especially in, in natural conversation, it's supposed to be natural. Um, and so we need to think uh, as designers and as product people, how do we build these experiences um, where it doesn't have to be linear? Um, and so that looks at um, you know, things like situational design, which is kind of Amazon's uh, uh, design practice when, when looking at voice interfaces. And, th- and that's kind of des- designing around the situation. Um, so another way that we can look at that uh, order pizza example is going, okay, we have three requirements. We need size, we need type, and we need um, method, and that's pickup or delivery. And so um, we can create states, essentially, uh, or situations of, of our user. Um, maybe they've given us none. Maybe they've given us one of the three. Maybe they've given us two. Um, maybe they give us all three at once. Um, and so we can create these situations, and we can design for those situations. Um, it's very similar to, to kind of a state machine. Ah, uh, so I'd call... I'd call the pizza place and uh, and it'd say, how can I help you? And I'd say like, yeah, I'd like a delivery. 
and you're like, okay, I've got, I've got one of three and now I have to. Exactly. And so then it's going to go, you, you should prioritize, those would be called slot types and then we would prioritize those. So if I walked into, into a shop, I would likely ask for, I would likely go type size, then pick up a delivery. If I was behind the counter, that's probably what I, the cadence in which I'd ask for those three things. And so we can prioritize those. Um, and so if I, if I give, if I say delivery, well, then my top priority next is type. Yeah. Um, and so then I should prompt the user for the type of pizza. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, so are the apps that people, that developers are writing for uh, Amazon and, and Google, are, are those, can, are this just being ported over to what other systems? Like what has the pizza place got running to, to be able to do this? Like you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, there, so the platforms themselves have their own kind of, Dev consoles. So Google um, runs off Dialogflow, and Amazon runs off the uh, Alexa Developer Console. Hmm. Um, and so, if I can kind of use VoiceFlow as an example, um, the experience is built in us, and you can the what what these voice apps run off are called an interaction model. Um, and so, this is kind of like you can think of it like the brain, um, and then the brain needs to run off an, off an engine. Um, and so, these are ported off to the uh, Alexa Developer Console or to Dialogflow, and that's where they're actually uh, the agents are actually run. And so, do you th- uh, are there other players in this? You know, like big, I guess you know, enterprise systems that Walgreens would use that are not, you know, the voice apps that we that we might interact with on our on our phones. Right. So yeah, there's kind of these. Um, there's two kind of sides to this. So there's kind of the the building aspect, and then there's the post-build kind of running aspect. Yeah. And that's the NLP and NLU engine, so natural language processing and natural language understanding. Uh-huh. Um, and so in that space, there's a ton of legacy players. Um, so you have like the Nuance Communications, oh, Genesis. Right. Um, these are kind of the the original players. And then, we'll, you know, in more modern, we have Amazon Lex. Um, we have uh, Dialogflow. We have uh, the open source Raza, which is is gaining a lot of popularity. Mm. And then on the build side or the the pre build side, it really it really varies. So we have you know I think a modern toolkit like like VoiceFlow um, that we're trying to kind of you know build the build what the the modern uh, kind of voice voice product looks like. But then at the same time, we still have people on um, spreadsheets, on Visio flowcharts, on OmniGraffle, on Excel. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, kind of the Wild West. Oh, it totally feels like the web 20 years ago, you yeah. know, where, yeah, there were, like, these big systems that came from, like, IBM for, like, your entire, like, your entire web stack, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah. oh, no, there's this interesting open store stuff. And then, like, we're cobbling together tools for, you know, what – However, we could. We started with you know paper and whiteboards, and then ah uh, yeah, we started using Omnigraffle and Visio and things like that. So uh, it's all it's uh, it's definitely history repeating, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's neat. It's definitely cool to kind of be ground level and uh, and see what's going on. All right, I got more questions about that, but first we're going to take a little break. Uh, speaking of apps in the cloud, uh, this episode is brought to you by our brilliant friends over at Pingdom, who can help us monitor all of these apps in the cloud to make sure they're up all the time. So Pingdom are brilliant because they help you keep your sites and the sites that you love online. Uh, Pingdom monitors your site so you don't have to and gives you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on all the time. 
you know, the internet is awesome, but it breaks all the time. And Pingdom, with their customers, detect around 13 million outages a month. Uh, and if you're good at math, you already know that's like 400,000 outages of web stuff every day. Uh, so it doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts to any critical website issues. Uh, Pingdom will let you customize how you are alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Plus, they'll track and, uh, and analyze website load time. So you get this great chart of milliseconds for how well your apps and websites are responding to your users. And that's affecting the user experience in a way that we all know is super, super important. Uh, if you have a site of any size, uh, go get Pingdom. Uh, they have a no-fuss approach to getting started. All you need is a URL. They take care of the rest. You just you pop in a URL. They start monitoring immediately. Uh, go to pingdom.com slash Relay FM right now. You get a 14-day free trial. You don't even need a credit card. Just go try it. See what it's like. Uh, when you do sign up, use the code presentable. And uh, for your first, your first invoice, you'll get 30% off, which is huge. So thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Uh, yeah. All right. So what were we talking about? Oh, the tools, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, so people are using spreadsheets or just trying to figure out, um, you know, how to keep track of when people ask for this, we should do that, right? Yeah, so I think the the regular flow um, is kind of starting with a script. Um, so a, a script is, is really actually quite a, quite a good place to start. Um, we do recommend uh, kind of playing, just playing around with the script, you know, open up a, a Google uh, a sheet, uh, a Word doc, and, you know, just kind of get... Uh, Get something down on paper um, because what it does is it it shows you um, pretty quickly um, kind of where you might hit bottlenecks, um, where people might fall off, etc. Um, and then people typically will move that to uh, an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and so that's where you kind of start building out that brain. Um, and that's kind of the artifact that is being passed off to development. Um, and so that's where we kind of outline our slots, our utterances, entities, etc., Utterances. What a great word. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Utterances. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of jargon. It's it's funny because um, we we kind of don't have that like that material design yet for voice, right? Um, and so there's no the platforms themselves kind of dictate the standard language that's used, which is really interesting because um, I'm not sure. I think I think that will change. Uh, uh, when when kind of designers and developers um, you know are, are building more and more, uh, but yeah, so we'll we'll go from that Excel spreadsheet, um, those those Word documents, and then maybe we'll take that and we'll build kind of a, a flowchart, um, some visual representation of what's going to happen uh, inside this experience, and then maybe we'll package that all up and we'll pass it off uh, to developers, and so that process you can imagine. Um, is not that good. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of places that where it kind of falls apart. Um, communication, uh, kind of after a handoff, those artifacts to the development team. You know, it's really tough to keep consistent. Um, it's tough to iterate, um, and so that's kind of you know at VoiceFlow a lot of the time we spend is you know how do we how do we make that process a lot better? How do we build kind of you know a Figma level solution for that that workflow? Right, right. Where uh, documents are always alive and things like that, right? As opposed Absolutely, to, yeah. here's here's the big zip file. Go sort it out and let me know if you have any questions. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. That's not uh, 
It's definitely not. Doesn't feel too modern. Doesn't feel too uh, AI assistance of uh, you know 2020. The actual sort of deliverables in a product like the one you guys are building. Mm-hmm. Is that um, it's still a little bit abstract, right? It's like boxes and arrows and connecting up things and and kind mm-hmm. of uh, how how maybe some of like Xcode UI works or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, similar. Um, so the it's funny because I'm I'm talking down kind of on that flowchart model, but if you looked at our tool, you might go, oh, this is very similar to to a flowchart. And so where the kind of the mental model breaks down and where we spend a lot of time thinking about is. How can we build a product that, I guess, is visually linear to the user that's building it, to the designer or the the developer, but when it's actually alive, it doesn't act linearly? And so in in our tool, we can have a linear flow, but if I'm the end user who's actually accessing that on my Alexa or on my Google Assistant, um, I can say anything at any time, and the system should react in a way. Um, and we've built it in a way so that d- designers can can uh, make sure that their voice apps react to uh, whatever the user says without kind of saying, "Whoops, I don't know that one," right. um, just because you know I'm at X part of the of the flow. Ooh, see, that's that's starting to get really interesting. Where there the where the system can respond in ways or, or to requests or things that were sort of un- unanticipated by the designers. Yeah, that's that's what um, it's kind of called is like your fallback intents. Um, and so fallback intents are what we use when we don't, we have no idea what the user said. Um, it doesn't fall into any of our error handling. Um, we're just kind of at a loss. Um, and so we use what's called a fallback intent. And what's interesting about fallback intents is that they should be contextualized, um, to where the user is or what they're doing. Uh. Um, so if we are in the middle of that, of that purchase flow, um, where we're getting, you know, our pizza and I ask, you know, Tell me the history of Domino's. Um, so that's something that you know we weren't expecting, but we should contextualize that response to say, okay, um, I can actually tell you the history of Domino's, but you know, let's finish this order first. Or sorry, I'm not sure what you meant. Why don't we finish this order and then and then you know we'll loop back. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's it's definitely there's a lot going on. <laughs> it, it reminds me a little bit of those uh, demos that Google was doing uh, with kind of the opposite, where the where the the voice assistant was the user calling restaurants to make reservations mm. that didn't have online rev- reservation systems. Yeah, duplex. Uh, and yes, all of that. Um, and uh, and it was like fifty percent fascinating and fifty percent. Oh my god! Really? Yeah, <laughs> you know, super super creepy because they, I think, put so much effort into trying to sound human and sound and and again try to anticipate the unanticipated. Right, mm. that sort of. Um, because the, the, the questions that they would get back from the restaurant owner or the person taking the reservations could be all over the place, right? Right. Right. Like, yeah. There's no, essentially but, no, but how about scope. tomorrow? You know, that kind of stuff. Like what? Yeah. You know, that. yeah. There's, there's infinite scope, um, in a conversation. So, uh, it, it poses a really challenging, uh, design problem. We can't, we can't possibly, uh, design for every potential, um, utterance, right? Everything that a, that a user can say, can say. So, how do we kind of do the best to, uh, you know, break down system initiative versus user initiative, and and kind of always continually move the conversation forward um, without getting stuck? Uh, and so, yeah. You know, when I first started playing around with this, this is a few years ago, um, 
when when the first I think SDKs were coming out from Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, and I realized back then at least very quickly that the code that I would write is just a huge list of if then statements, mm-hmm. and that was kind of it, right? And then there was like I think the other thing they had like was a set of synonyms to fit into the if then statements, and that seemed to be kind of it, right? Uh, and and I'm I'm assuming that's changed quite a bit. I mean, VoiceFlow is putting being able to hold on to state and and do that kind of stuff, and even ask follow up questions where you can use you know uh, pronouns and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, I'm just wondering if that is is still where we're at, or, or or are we getting further along in in kind of inference and understanding? Right. So that's a really good question. So let me break it down into kind of the three the three kind of different types of of experiences people are building, and then I can relate it back to kind of the the underlying tech. Um, And so so the first of those three experiences kind of like what we call input-output. So this would be, you know, uh, Alexa, play uh, Despacito on Spotify. Um, So that's just kind of like a command, an input, and an output. Mm -hmm. And and so that's experience one. And so there, um, there, the the tech there is pretty simple. It's kind of like a search query. Um, You know, we match that and, and we complete the action for the user. The second is is system-driven um, or, or Alexa-driven. And so this is where you are kind of a willing passenger in this voice experience. Um, so a good example of this would be, you know, maybe some, some media type. Maybe it's like the New York Times uh, daily quiz. Um, and so you're kind of just a passenger, you are answering questions, but Alexa or Google or whatever system uh, is kind of driving the experience. Um, and so in these two cases, or at least in, in that second case there, the, the system driven, this is where that, you know, that if and list is, is kind of okay. Um, because, you know, you, we don't need any ML models. We don't need to infer anything. Um, we just kind of need, we, here's our system. Uh, you are a passenger and, and hopefully this experience is enjoyable. Um, and then the third type of app is kind of the, the user driven and so this is where things from a, from a design standpoint, from a UX standpoint, get really interesting. Um, and so this is where the user is completely dictating the conversation and this, the system is adapting to the user uh, as opposed to the user adapting to the system. And this is where your, you know, your list of if-and statements will inevitably fall apart. Um, and right. so the, the vast majority of people are, are still building for that, that, second, that second example. Um, but mm-hmm. we're starting to see the shift uh, to the to the user driven experiences, and this is where um, you know the agents themselves need to need to improve and are improving. Um, but this is where you know we need to get into our ML and into our our AI layers that that kind of go on top of our interaction model to learn um, and to actually improve over time. And that's, I guess, a function of usage, right? Mm-hmm. Just if Walgreens has an open ended question as they're greeting. Mm-hmm. they're going to hear almost anything, right? And they can start to, I guess, do data analysis and, and, and decide what are better answers and what are better answers and do some A-B testing and, mm-hmm. and sort of hone in on the, the full taxonomy of what they may be asked. Yeah, it's really interesting inside of, um, you know, when, when we're speaking with enterprises, the, the conversational designers inside these enterprises that are building these experiences actually work the closest with uh, data scientists. Um, and so yeah, once yeah. these experiences actually go live, how we iterate on them um, is is extremely data driven as opposed to qualitative. 
And that's where over time with enough data, we can start to apply the label AI to this. Right. right? I think, right. Yeah. I think, I think I have a sense that, that the voice user interface has gotten, has just been such a part of sci-fi for so long that we immediately jump to if a computer can answer, can recognize my voice, it therefore should answer any possible question. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to Star Trek. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there really is a distinction between it's like parsing my voice and understanding a search query on Spotify, super easy, mm-hmm. versus any question I could possibly ask giving me the appropriate answer. Like, how do I get to the airport tomorrow? Yeah. Right. Much more difficult query. Right. Yeah. And so, then we get into things um, like just the, I don't know, the nuances of conversation. Like if I wake up in the morning and I ask, um, what should I wear today? You know, really, I'm asking, what's the weather? Um, hmm. and so how does the system infer these things? How do they, how do they make those distinctions? Um, so it, it's quite challenging to understand the user's context while understanding the sentiment, um, any jargon that they use, uh, or slang. Um, and, and on top of that, they can ask, you know, seemingly anything in the world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. And we're starting to get a little bit of sentiment, right? Like, mm-hmm. Uh, even the simplest, simplest, like I think Alexa can now will whisper back if you whisper to it. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, great. Even yeah. if, like there's context there, right? Yeah. Like I'm trying to be quiet. I'm trying not to wake up my partner and mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to ask something for tomorrow and it'll, it'll lower the volume. Yeah. But also, uh, I can imagine very quickly picking up on frustration or like, mm-hmm. Uh, let, let me get you a human right now in the IVR sense, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, because, because the, the reality is that when voice goes wrong, it's really frustrating. It's not yeah. like a GUI where we can kind of just, you know, smash the back button um, or refresh the page. Uh, we, we can't do that, right? Uh, and so the way that the system handles those, those unhappy paths um, is super critical to, to delivering an experience that um, doesn't doesn't anger people that's right that's right uh let's um talk more about that in just a minute but i uh want to take another break cool. uh, and welcome a new sponsor to the show and that's kensington uh they are the people that make universal docking stations that are designed to increase your productivity so this is like you have your laptop on uh your desk or you take it home and work and back and forth but you want all the ports uh, for all the stuff that you need, and you want to just plug that right in. Um, you can get access to all those ports and make your very cool MacBook or Chromebook or any other laptop as powerful as a desktop machine. Plug and play, no drivers. Uh, you can have dual 4K displays, HDMI, display link video connectors, all sorts of other acronyms like USB 3, USB-C, Thunderbolt 3 with power delivery, all of that in one of these uh, docking stations from Kensington. The engineering team at Kensington has been working on these for three decades and uh, have high volume manufacturing of, of all their IT products, rigorous test cycles, quality control. All of that means that their products are tested above all industry standards. They're just not going to not gonna fall apart. Uh, if you're an IT decision maker uh, and you want to find the right solution for your whole organization, they have this uh, pro concierge program at Kensington where they'll let you test drive the docking uh, stations and and things like that. You could do that today. So go to kensington.com slash presentable right now to check out Kensington. Uh, that's kensington.com slash presentable to learn more. Thanks to them for their support of the show and for all of Relay FM. All right. Uh, are you using a laptop right now, Mike? Sure am. I bet you could really use a docking station with your... <laughs> with your laptop yeah why not 
<laughs> Why not? Uh, let's see. We were talking about, oh, you know what? You were mentioning like people getting frustrated uh, when it's not working and sentiment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would imagine the user research, like the validation research of usability and things like that mm-hmm. is just as important, even more so than all of the screen-based design we've always done. Yeah. And and it's it's really interesting. Um, if, if we kind of use that IVR example, um, I was just blown away when I learned this. But the way that it, the industry standard way to to test these experiences before we actually launch is um, what's called WAS testing, um, Wizard of Oz testing. And then the way this is done <laughs> is the way this is done is I have my script in front of me and I get one of my colleagues and we sit down and, and we run through this um, and you pretend you're the machine uh, and I pretend I'm the user. And so when we found this out, we were just floored. Um, <laughs> this is this is industry standard. This is what's happening. So a lot of our time is spent on, you know, how can we, you know, find a better workflow for this? How can we test things a lot quicker and with a lot uh, higher accuracy um, where tests are saved and, and we can go back and we can make improvements and we can kind of save all these revisions, et cetera. Um, but yeah, the user testing and prototyping of, of voice experiences is something that's super, super critical, especially now, uh, given that the, the space is, is small and growing. Um, and so kind of figuring out what is the best industry standard for for prototyping and these experiences uh, is definitely something that I, I spend a lot of time on. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. I hadn't quite thought of that. But yes, of course, pretend to be the computer and mm-hmm. see how people respond when you just read the words off the script. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely yeah, just, better than, than nothing. Um, but, but I think we can, we can find something that, that scales a little easier. And it's reminding me in many ways of the original Turing test, right? Where, um, where you had to decide whether the person, it was a person or a computer right, chatting right. back with yeah, you. Yeah, way, yeah. way, way, way back before even, before even GUIs, I think they were doing the Turing test. Right. Um, so we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but, uh, discovery seems to be a really, really difficult. Like yeah. the idea of, of just what can I do with this thing? What mm-hmm. can I ask? Um, and I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat through some, computer telling me you can ask me and then just reading off a whole list of stuff that i'm supposed to remember somehow anyway what do we do about that yeah so discovery i would say is probably amazon's number one uh number one problem one thing that they're working kind of the hardest to solve and there's some outrageous statistic like fifteen thousand apps and or some i'm i'm guessing at that number but it's there's a huge number of apps uh that are just sitting there waiting oh yeah absolutely um, what we're, we're in the super early days, right? So we're seeing, let's, let's kind of benchmark this to the iOS, uh, app store. Um, we're uh-huh. seeing a bunch of people, uh, hobbyists build out games, build out kind of really simple things and, and they don't have marketing budgets. They don't have, you know, the ability to get eyeballs in front of, uh, in front of what they've built. Um, and so, yeah, you see, you see a lot of experiences that, that, um, sit there and, and go dormant and, a lot of the time, um, it's because, you know, they were built quickly and it was kind of for fun. Uh, but sometimes you'll actually have these great experiences. And, and one, uh, just talking to one of our users the other day, they kind of built this, um, this app for learning uh, Spanish. Um, and I use it and it was fabulous. And I was like, wow, this is a really great experience. But as, as an individual creator uh, and designer, he's frustrated because he can't get discoverability to to his to his Alexa skill. Um, 
And so what do we do about this? Well, uh, voice flow, really, it's tough for us. It's tough for us to kind of do anything that makes a, makes a meaningful full change for, for the people that build through, through our product without, without mm. marketing budgets. And so what we're seeing on the Alexa side is um, they're trying to connect third-party applications. They're trying to suggest third-party applications. Um, but really, they, you know, this is a problem that is, is not solved. Yeah, I, it's interesting, right? Because the, our inclination when speaking to a voice assistant is to just ask for the thing we want, not ask the brand for the thing we want, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, like my example earlier, uh, if I were to ask, how should I get to the airport tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I would want the assistant to go, well, you could take a cab. It costs about this much. You could take mm-hmm. Uber. You could take Lyft. You could take, you know, and go through my options and, or winnow down my choices by asking some additional questions. Right. But, you know, I'm not quite sh- not quite sure how I would phrase the question if I just wanted to go with Uber, right? Like, am I supposed to say? Right. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so, um, the uh, Amazon themselves has come out with, uh, is it the can can fulfill intent? Um, and so this is this is kind of their first effort into kind of trying to solve this. Um, so we can think of this like voice SEO, um, and so. If we have a can fulfill intent in our interaction model inside the, the brain of our, of our app, um, we can kind of bid on these queries. Um, oh, wow. You can't, we can't actually pay. Um, there's no kind of marketing or uh, there's no ad network here. But um, if we not are... Y- not yet. Not yet, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, so a good example is, uh, is Tide. So I, I don't think it's available in Canada where I'm based, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that if you are in the U.S. and you ask, your Alexa, um, you know, I have a stain in my shirt. Um, I believe that they forward you through kind of to a, uh, a branded Tide experience um, wow. that kind of walks you through, you know, what to do, what type of stain is this, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's kind of the first glimpse we're seeing into, into kind of making discoverability better. Um, for example, if, you know, if say, hey, I want to, you know, I want to book a table tonight at uh, a restaurant. What do you recommend? Um, you know, the, the, the demos that we've seen go, you know, here are the three places we recommend and you want to book that on open table on top of that. Do you need an Uber? Should I schedule it now? Yeah. Right. So this is where these discoverability, this gets really interesting. Um, but at the same time, you know, in all these examples, we're, we're solving discoverability for big brands, right? Right. Um, right. on like very, um, very different than let's say iOS, um, where we saw we saw new companies emerge, right? We saw companies that are mobile only become billion dollar companies, uh, and so will we see that with voice? We're we're not sure. Um, potentially, uh, I hope so. Uh, but right now, the 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 people that are benefiting most from kind of let's say the camp fill intent from that discoverability are uh, are brands that you're already using. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sounds like there is the potential. Well, I, I, I was going to say the potential for somebody to be an aggregator inside of there, right? To yeah. be li- like essentially what Yelp did or what OpenTable has done or even Uber or Facebook, right? These mm-hmm. are big like connections. Um, and does, you know, will Amazon want to be that? Or 
you know, because Apple never did really want mm-hmm. to be that. They want to provide the platform, the foundation, and just keep selling the devices, right? right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. Um, I know, like, there, there's a lot of startups out there that are kind of trying to be that aggregator in the in the really early days. So the way that we got started was we made interactive children's stories, um, and so. We, uh, if you have ever read those um, Choose Your Own Adventure books, we essentially took those hired voice actors and made uh, interactive experiences for for kids um, before bedtime. Um, and so what we found is, you know, we got to kind of, you know, we had 20, 30 stories um, and we go, okay, maybe we should just be an aggregator for content uh, on these devices, for audio content. We can start with, uh, with children. Um, yeah. And it was really hard. It, it wasn't easy, uh, especially given kind of, you know, the, the tech stack that we're using. We don't have visuals um, uh, or at least, you know, at that time. Now there's devices with screens, but um, it's definitely tough. It's definitely tough to be to be an aggregator. It's it seems like a truism in technology, though, that the easier things get to make, the harder it is to get distribution. Right. Right. Because there's yeah, just yeah. so much competition, you yeah, know, yeah, because yeah. it just, yeah. we, we open up more and more like, uh, your product is ostensibly designed to kind of democratize that a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe move, move who does a lot of the creation away from just pure development mm-hmm. into people with different s- skill sets. Yep. Uh, and that'll make it a lot easier to make voice applications. And there should be a lot more voice applications as a result. So I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do too. Uh, it's a matter of then how do we find them and how do we get, the right, the right app to the right person, and right. like, and look at the the what the app stores uh, on all the other platforms for mobile have become. It's insane, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah and then on yeah, top yeah. of that, how do we interact with these experiences through through multiple devices, right? Um, how do we kind of move into that multimodal world where you know perhaps I, I start an experience on my phone, and then you know maybe I'm opening my Headspace app, and then it goes to my smart speak, or vice versa, or I'm talking to my Alexa, and now I'm uh, you know that visual appears on my uh, on my TV. This is where things kind of get really interesting moving forward is how do all of these experiences come together because you know voice a lot of people look at it as a as a platform right and that's because we have Alexa and Google who have kind of you know released cheap hardware which have popularized popularized voice kind of as a platform but really it's an interface. Um, I would I would look at voice would be more synonymous in my mind with uh, you know the touch screen. Um, it's just a new way to to interface yeah. with what we're doing as opposed to, you know, a platform shift itself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting to see all the different manifestations of hardware, like what yeah. uh, Apple, Apple is doing with the AirPods and, and yeah. putting more and more computing inside of their ear mm-hmm. canals, right? Yes. To do that kind of stuff. Yeah, really all exciting. Is, yeah. Super interesting. Uh, have you ever heard of the game, the video game called Zork? It's a text adventure game. I have not, no. All right. See, I'm now nah, this is me spreading this out to a new generation. It was one okay. of the first video games that I ever played a long time ago on my Commodore 64. And it is really like uh it's text only. Oh uh, wow. Like a little green screen, right? And you say like you're, it says you're standing in a field and there's a house in front of you and a forest to the north. And you say, go north and open chest and wow. take all of that. It was natural language processing 
probably from the 60s and 70s that then made it into a video game in the 80s. Uh, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes so everyone should go check. I think you could just play it online now. Yeah, please uh, do. I'm looking at it here. It, uh, oh, you got it. It looks Dork. interesting. Yeah. It's like a video was, game in a command line interface. <laughs> that's because well, that's all there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, there, like, yeah, there yeah, were yeah. no graphics on computers when this thing came out. It traces its roots all the way back to the earliest, earliest computers. Uh, cool. But it was the, the fundamental premise was like natural language processing. You tell the computer what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's really, and, and you could kind of do that. You could use different phrasings and things like that. It was, it's really, really interesting. Anyway, there you go. Little history lesson. Awesome. So that, you know, I'll play not everything it. we're Why building not? is all brand new. Yeah, go play yeah, it. See yeah, how far yeah, you can yeah. get. Uh, Mike, this is fantastic. Uh, this is really, really helpful. Uh, where can we learn more? Let's see. Uh, oh, the voice flow blog. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That is fantastic. Uh, lots of, um, lots of posts there about how this stuff works and how to think about it. Uh, anywhere else? Yeah, I think that's that's a good place to start. We have a uh, Facebook community. I think there's about 4,500 of our, our most, most active uh, users in there. And so that's a great place if you're using uh, the Voiceful product. But on top of that, just to ask general questions. Um, it's kind of a really helpful community. So I'd recommend, I'd recommend checking that out. Cool. All right. We'll, t- we'll check out. I'll put a link to the, to the Facebook group as well. And you are Mike underscore hoodie on Twitter. Is that correct? Yes. One of my co-founders right. uh, has forced me to get Twitter. And so I'm now on there. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Well, uh, maybe we get, get you a few more followers and you can uh, post some of the best practices of, uh, of viewy design. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the program. This was great conversation. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeff. I appreciate it. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen, and this was Presentable. Presentable.